Hi, thanks for joining us online. We're glad that you've chosen to access this message. It's so encouraging to know that God is using the ministry of Portico Community Church to touch the hearts and lives of people all across the world. If you have a story to share or a prayer request, we would love to hear from you at info at porticocanada.ca. To support our ministry, you can donate online by clicking on the Donate button at the top right of your screen. Once again, we're so glad that you've joined us. It's our prayer that this message from God's Word will deeply impact your life. Well, hey, good morning. Welcome to Portico and happy Mother's Day. And as Pastor Doug said, yes, I'm going to be away for the next two weeks, and I'm going to ask you to pray for me as I go. I'm going to uh, a war-torn, dangerous, terrorist-filled part of the world, and just to show you where I'm going to be for the next two weeks so you can feel sorry for me. This is going to be my view next Sunday. Go ahead and show that. Yeah, so (laughs) thank you for your concern and your prayers. I'll try to think of you as I'm sipping cappuccino on the beach next Sunday. <laughs> I really don't know where to go from there. I just want to show you that picture. Uh, I'm going with 53 people from all across Canada and some from different parts of the world, and we're going to be spending ten, or actually two weeks together in the land of Israel. And what's cool for me is two things. Number one, this is going to be my 40th trip to Israel, which is kind of like an epic number for me personally. And then secondly, I'm going to be going to a lot of the parts of the country that we've been reading about in the Bible. So that's kind of cool for me. In maybe in 10 days from now, maybe a little more than that, I'm going to be swimming in the Red Sea. Come on, that's pretty cool. Wow. So I'm looking forward to that. But that's that's next Sunday. And yeah, pray for Pastor Doug. He's flying to India tonight. So we're just believing God to be with him. Uh, He told me about his itinerary. They're going to keep him busy. So pray for Pastor Doug as he goes and represents Portico in India. Amen? Amen. Well, how many have been enjoying the series of Moses Unscripted? Wow, that was weak. Okay. Let me ask again. How many have been enjoying the series of Moses Unscripted? Wow. (laughs) You know, what I love about the story of Moses is that this took place just over 3,400 years ago. And here we are. There's thousands of us on a a Sunday morning here in Canada and around the world from people who are joining in online. And 3,400 years later, we're still looking at his life and learning from him, gleaning from him. I think that's incredible. I would love to think that maybe 34 years after I'm gone, people will still be talking about me. Never mind 3,400. And so it's been a lot of fun. And even though we've been presenting so much material and we're taking a long time to present his life, we're actually skipping over scads of parts of his life because even in a long series like this, we still can't tackle everything. But we believe as a team, we're we're gleaning, we're picking the parts that really help us in our everyday life, and that's really what we want to do here. Now, this morning, we're talking about the power of worship, not just worship that you experience here on a Sunday morning. As good as our team is, and I'm hoping you'll come out on the 27th for that evening of worship, and as good as as those things are, not talking just about the, the musical part of worship, but worship as a lifestyle. 
What does that mean when you leave this place? It's really easy to be a Christian when you're in this room. It's really easy to worship God when you're in this room. And the further you go from this place, the more difficult it becomes because real life kicks in. And so what we want to do is we want to learn from the life of Moses and the Israelites after this incredible experience of the plagues and the exodus and the parting of the Red Sea, what happens when they cross over to the other side? What's the first thing they do? And it's very powerful and there's a great life lesson for us. Because the first thing Moses does is he says, stop, put everything down, let's worship God. The very first thing Moses did was he called the people to worship, to remind them that it was God who had done it, not Moses. It would have been easy to give Moses the credit. They saw him go to Pharaoh. They saw him hold out his staff, and they watched the waters part. They would have easily gone along with it if Moses had said, yeah, I did that, and God helped a little. It would have been very easy, but no, Moses causes the people to worship. And worship, music, is one of those things in life that has the power to take us back to a moment. Have you ever experienced that? Right? You're driving along, and a song comes on the radio, and you hear it, you're like, oh my goodness, I'm I'm, I'm 18 again. You remember exactly, you remember the, the clothes you wore that you thought was awesome in 1986. Yes. (laughs) You look at it now and go, oy vey. (laughs) But there are a few things that can just, that can take us back in time. And one of the things for me that does it is smell. I'll walk into my mom's home and she'll be cooking something very, very traditionally Portuguese. And oh my goodness, my mind goes back to when I was a kid. I remember her making it all the time. Sometimes it's sight. We see something and it triggers a memory. For me, it's a 1980-something Chevy Van Dura, also known as the Scooby-Doo van. Do you guys remember that van? My dad had one of those. And he bought it brand new. And you have to understand something. As a first-generation immigrant, you don't have a new car. And when my dad got that car, he was so excited, he drove to each and every one of his brother's house. And he parked that bad boy outside and said, hey, how's it going? That's what you did. Right? Immigrants were supposed to drive jalopies. Now, how many of us were driven to school in a jalopy? Just me? How many have ever driven a jalopy? Anybody? How many are driving a jalopy? (laughs) My mom had a 1983 semi-automatic Volkswagen Bug. It had gears, but it had no clutch. And it was orange, baby. I see an orange bug, and bam, my mind goes right back to a moment. And another thing that's very powerful is sound, music. I mentioned that before. We hear a song, and it takes us back, and we can remember, oh my goodness, everything about that moment. Now, in a moment, we're going to look at the song that Moses had the people sing. And every time they would sing that song, it would take them back to the edge of the Red Sea. It would take them back to the Exodus. They would remember what God had done for them. Now, I know that in this room and online and all of our services, we have people who were born from the 50s right through to the 2000s and everything in, in between. And I wonder if there was a song for your generation. If I was to ask you, was there a song of your 
your teenage life, what was it? You'd probably know what it was. Let's take a little stroll down memory lane and see if any of these songs trigger a moment. Okay. Okay. I saw a lot of heads bobbing. I don't want any emails this week. But if you do, my email is pastordogaporticochurchcanada.ca. Okay. You know, musical style in and of itself, the kind of music I don't believe can be evil or good. The music itself, their notes, they're arranged on a page and then they're played back. It's a soulless platform. It's just music. But what I believe is the lyrics that go into the music and the intent of the artist behind the song, that's what makes something good or makes it evil. And I'm going to say something outrageous, okay? I don't believe that rap is evil. I don't believe that rock itself is evil. I don't believe that country music (laughs) is evil. (laughs) You know, when I became a Christian, it was back in 1987. I was 17 years old, and I'm 47 today, so that means I've been a believer now for, for 30 years. But in 1987... Some of the artists that were big in the church were people like uh, the Gaithers. You guys remember them? Right? See? Right? There was, there was Amy Grant. There was Michael W. Smith. There was all these really big bands. And as great as they were musically, they just weren't the style of Joe Amaral. It's not what I was raised in. I was raised with a very different kind of musical style. I grew up in, in, a, in a heavy metal, heavy rock and roll scene. And so Amy didn't do it for me. You know, but God bless her. She reached so many people. Now, do you guys remember when Much Music first launched in Canada? Right? That was in the mid-80s. America had MTV and it was a big thing. Then we finally got 24-hour, seven-day music here. And I was so excited because on Thursdays at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, there was something called the Power Hour. Not that preacher that you know about on TV. But the power hour was one hour of heavy metal music, and I didn't miss it for the world. Now, we didn't have PVR back then. You know, I couldn't go online to YouTube and watch it whenever I could. It was on for one hour a week. And if you missed it, you guys remember that? Too bad. Right? So I remember watching it because it had all the heavy stuff. And then the DJ said, we have a special treat today. We have a Christian rock band. I said, can you have the words Christian and rock in the same sentence? And so I had seen all this stuff with pentagrams and blood and all, the, all this inappropriate kind of stuff, and then this band comes on the scene with a Bible verse. It said, Isaiah 53, 5, by his stripes we are healed. And the name of the band was Striper. And I remember watching this video, and before that, I'd, I've been hearing people say that you should, you should sleep around, and you should drink, and do drugs, and do all this terrible stuff, and they were saying, no, you don't need drugs to have a good time. They said, you can have God's power in your soul. He can be the rock that makes you roll. And I went, I like that. So, you know what I did? Is I went out, and I bought the vinyl record. What's that? (laughs) This is from a museum. (laughs) 
You guys remember vinyl records? They were the best. And, you know, and we couldn't Google things, so I had to, to Google the lyrics. I would take out the insert sleeve, and the lyrics were printed on the inside. You guys remember that? And so I'm reading the lyrics about what it means to be a follower of Christ. And so to this moment, to this day, every time I hear that song, and it was called Soldiers Under Command. And when I heard that song, it just made me want to be a follower of Christ. And to this very day, I'm not only friends with a band, I'm actually their pastor. Come on. Here's a picture of us a few years ago. (laughs) Just in case. Just in case you couldn't tell which one wasn't the rocker. (laughs) You know, on Tuesday night, I'm going to share some stories that I encountered while traveling with this band, you know, because music has the power to touch people in a way that some things just can't do. We were in some really seedy bars in the United States, and there was people in there who would never come to church, but from that platform, they heard the gospel of Jesus being preached. And I saw things take place, good things take place. And so music is one of those things that God uses. And sometimes we get caught up and we say, well, I don't like that kind of music, therefore it's not godly or it's not good. And because of the generation we got saved into or we came to faith into, we we kind of set that as a benchmark and everything else isn't from God. Folks, that's not the case. Worship is as diverse as we are. We're going to close today by reading from the book of Revelation, and we're going to read about a song that we're all going to sing together in eternity. I'm going to sing it a little bit rock and roll. You might sing it a little bit gaither. You know what? It's all good. I can't believe I just said that in church, that the gaithers are good. Wow. Woo, Okay. Let's look at three things from the life of Moses and this experience of crossing the Red Sea that can really help us in our journey. The first is this, folks, that worship provides an opportunity for us to recognize that God is in control. (laughs) Let me read that again. Worship provides an opportunity for us to recognize that God is in control. The verse I want to start with is in Exodus chapter 15, verse 2. And remember, this is the first thing Moses does. He crosses the Red Sea. He could have thrown a party, right? A victory celebration. Look at what we just did. Look at what just happened. But no, he says, drop everything, stop everything. Let's focus on God. He's the one who did this. And he says, it's the Lord who is my strength. And he could have said, the Lord is our strength and our defense. He has become our salvation. He is our God, and I will praise him, our Father's God, and I will exalt him. And you have to imagine that they spent 40 years in the wilderness. I'm going to show you a map a little bit later on in the message of of this epic journey they took through Egypt and through, through Canaan and finally into the northern part of the Promised Land. And you got to know as they traveled that they would have sing-alongs. They would sit around a campfire, and they would begin to sing. And every time they sang that song, it would trigger a memory. 
Because remember, one generation died and a new one came up. And as they sung those songs, they would say, Mom, Dad, why do we sing those songs? And they would tell them and it would remind them it would take them back to a moment. It would remind them how God had parted the Red Sea for them, that he had sent ten powerful plagues and had set them free from over 400 years of bondage. And I love what Moses does. He says, stop and worship God. Stop and give him thanks for what he has done for us. And so the first thing Moses does is he gives God the glory, and it was his way of reminding the people that it was God who was in charge, not Moses. You know, the people didn't see God do the things. They saw Moses do them. It was Moses who went before Pharaoh. It was Moses who stood on the banks of the Red Sea. They could have easily believed that it was him who did the miracles. But he says, stop, let us remember that it is God who has done this for us. And as you read through chapter 15 of Exodus, it's a beautiful retelling of this event in song. And in Exodus 15, 11, Moses reminds the people that God is the God above every other God, that he was over even the gods of ancient Egypt. Now, you've got to remember that there were hundreds of gods in ancient Egypt, and they were all worshipped for different things. We talked about this on Tuesday night, but let me share a couple with you. Each god was assigned a specific task. They were responsible for that thing in the natural, and if something bad happened, that meant that god wasn't powerful that they couldn't do their job. And so as you look at the ten plagues, you see that they're in attack against ten gods who should have protected the Egyptians in that time. There was a god of the Nile. The water never should have turned to blood. The fish never should have died because that god was the god of the Nile and he was powerful. Guess what? The god of Moses was more powerful. You see, that god failed. There's a goddess of frogs. You can see her picture in hieroglyphics in tombs of pharaohs. She was responsible for the frog population. Too many frogs. Blame froggy over there. What happened when the frogs teamed out of the sea and overtook the city? It was a sign that that god wasn't the most powerful one anymore. And then the ninth plague was an attack against the sun god, Ra. It was his job to bring sun every day to the people. That's kind of an easy job because you know what? The sun comes up every morning. But Moses came and he said, I want to let you know for the next three days, no sun. That was a challenge against the most powerful God in Egypt. It hearkened back to Genesis when God said, let there be light. And the fact that there was darkness for three days solid was evidence that the God of Moses was more powerful than the God of Pharaoh. Every plague we see is a challenge of God against the gods of Egypt. Even at the very beginning in Exodus chapter 7, verse 10, Moses and Aaron come before the Pharaoh. And you know the story. You've seen the movie. They throw down the the staff. It becomes a snake. I would be impressed with that. Anybody? If I knocked over this stand right now and it became a snake, that's a good Sunday service. (laughs) But then the magicians, they replicated the trick, didn't they? 
and their staffs also became snakes. Uh Uh-oh. But what happened next was incredibly powerful. You see, the staff of Aaron (laughs) rose up and swallowed up the snakes of the Egyptians. Now, it gets even more powerful than that because the word used for snake in the Hebrew is the word tanin. And the word tanin was the symbol, was was the word used for the snake that was the official symbol of the ancient Egyptian empire. So when the staff of Moses swallowed up their snakes, it was showing that the kingdom of God was about to swallow up the kingdom of the Pharaoh. Let me show you a picture here. This was found uh, in the mummy of King Tut, Tutankhamun, the great pharaoh. Look on his forehead. What's there? Dual snakes. Look at this picture here, another Egyptian pharaoh wearing his garb. There's a painting of two cobras there. And on his forehead, again, there's a cobra. There's this idea that we're the toughest, we're the strongest, but God, in a very simple display of power, showed that he was over even the empire of Egypt. Wow. We have to be so careful, just like Moses, to not take the attention for ourselves. He, was, he deflected the attention and the worship back over to God. We see in Psalm 115, verse 1, Not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your love and your faithfulness. There were people in the Scriptures who did many amazing things, and they could have easily taken the glory for themselves. They could have taken the worship for themselves. John the Baptist is a perfect candidate. He was telling kings, calling them sinners right to their face. He was baptizing people in the Jordan River. The crowds were following him. His popularity was increasing. But then he says this in John 3.30, He says that he, Jesus, the Messiah, he must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. We have to be so careful, my friends, to not allow ourselves into being fooled by our own natural gifting. Sometimes we can think, look how good I am. Look look at my abilities. All this blessing is because of me, because of what I've been able to do. No. Remember, it's God who gave you that talent in the first place. Everything we do should always push people back to the Savior. Because the challenge is that if we lift somebody up too high, you know what ends up happening? That person ends up falling, don't they? And people who have their eyes on that person, they equate that person's downfall with God and church. Now, I know I'm not in the best position in this church to be giving guarantees. because I gave a guarantee about snow. But anyways, I'm a new creature. Anyways, um, but here's a guarantee. That if we take our eyes off of God and look to man, we will a thousand percent of the time be disappointed. We've all had that experience in our lives. We've seen people say one thing, but then we've seen them act another way. What do we call that? Hypocrisy. Right? Do you know that the term hypocrite used to be a compliment? You know that? What if I said, Yusuf, you're such a wonderful hypocrite? And you would say, wow, Pastor Joe, thank you. Now, let me tell you why I would say that to you. Because that was used in the Greek theater. 
After a show, you would say, man, you're such a hypocrite. You're amazing. You acted totally one way on stage, but you're completely different in real life. Good job. You're an amazing hypocrite. (laughs) And Jesus uses it in a negative way for the first time. He says, you hypocrite. In the synagogues, in the temples, before man, you act a certain way, but in private, you act another way. You're a hypocrite. Our focus and our worship needs to be constantly realigned and centered on God. If you know me, you know that I I love astronomy. That's why I stay in five-star hotels in Israel, Pastor Doug. It's for the gospel. It's not for me. (laughs) I have two telescopes. One is a self-aligning telescope. It sets itself, it knows where it is on the planet, it knows where it is in the known universe. And if I point it to an object in space, it'll constantly align itself to always keep the object in the center of my eyepiece. But then I have my my cheaper one, just my regular one, that I can point it at Saturn or at Jupiter, and I can see it beautifully for a few seconds. Before I know it, Saturn goes out of frame. Why? Because we're spinning at an incredible rate of a thousand miles an hour, and while we're spinning at a thousand miles an hour to make a rotation towards the sun, we're spinning around the sun. We're going around the sun at an unbelievable 107,000 kilometers per hour. You ever feel dizzy in the morning? That might have something to do with it. And so if we're not constantly realigning, if we're not constantly refocusing, the image goes out of view. That's what happens with God. You see, it's not a one-time shot. You come to church and have a great worship experience, and then you go home. No, no, you have to constantly realign yourself, constantly make sure that you put God at the center of everything you say and do. Amen? (laughs) Exodus chapter 15, verse 2. I love what Moses says here. He says that the Lord is my strength, and he's my defense, and he has become my salvation. See, he always was, but Moses finally realized it. He says, you have become my salvation, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. And so worship is not a one-time experience. It's a lifestyle. It's a series of choices. And if we don't keep that alignment This is what will happen, point number two. Our worship, our lifestyle of worship can be interrupted if we allow our self-centeredness to get in the way. And unfortunately, this is something that we all can identify with. Exodus 15, 24, the people grumble against Moses, and they said, what are we going to drink They had literally just crossed the Red Sea. God had done miracle after miracle, and it seems like within moments they're grumbling again. And we say, how could they complain? How could they have lost their focus so fast? You know what? We do it too. We do it too. We complain about stuff. Does anybody here complain about stuff? Yeah? Oh, Lord, I complain. Ask my wife. What kind of stuff do we complain about? Man, can you believe I only have 842 channels in my HD package? (sighs) How am I supposed to live? 
Man, I'm so mad. That 12-ounce steak I ordered last night wasn't cooked perfectly. Worst night ever. Just me? Let's remember. Let's remember. As quick as we are to look back and say, how could they complain? The truth is, let's be real honest, we do the very same thing. And here's the thing. Their journey had just begun. They thought the plagues was the big thing. They, they thought the crossing of the Red Sea was the big thing. That was only 10 months. They were going to spend the next 39 and a half years traveling together. Let me show you real quick uh, a rough outline of where they were when they left Egypt and when they crossed the Red Sea and they went over to Mount Sinai. The Bible says that they started off in, in Goshen and went to Sukkoth. You can see that's where the root is. And the very next verse says that they were in Etham. The Bible doesn't tell you. That's an incredible journey from Sukkoth to Etham. And if you look, that's a satellite image of, of Egypt today. You'll see the massive mountain ranges. They couldn't go over it, so they had to go around it. And they went up to Etham, and then God said, now go down towards Pi Hahiroth. And that's when Pharaoh came around the corner, and he had them pinned. They couldn't go back over the mountains, and they couldn't go across the sea. Pharaoh thought he had them pinned. And you know what God did. God told them where to cross. They crossed over to the other side. And then they get to this place called Mara, which in Hebrew to this very day means bitter. After only three days of this incredible worship of experience of crossing the Red Sea and singing this song to God, after only three days, they find themselves at Mara at a place of bitterness, and they complain. And they complain. And here's the truth, and I'm going to be just real honest with you this morning. We complain too. Hmm. Can I say something? Hmm. Some of us, <laughs> it took the Israelites three days. Some of us won't even make it out of the parking lot without reverting to complaining. Can you believe Pastor Joe played that music? Can you believe what he said to us in that message, that we're complainers? I'm going to complain. <laughs> and on and on it goes. And we have to watch our words. We have to watch our actions. We have to watch how we treat one another because the world is looking. Here is how we are to treat one another. You see, we complain but here's the truth. Life and church, guess what? Are not perfect. Do you know why? Life and church are made up of people who are broken, who are hurting, and who are just trying to find their way back to God. And this is what we're called to do. We're called to bear with one another. A nice way of saying, put up with each other. Okay? Forgive one another. Pray for one another. Bless one another. Care for one another. And finally, we are called to love one another. And Jesus says that is the hallmark identification of a believer. By this one thing, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Folks, it's time that we as the church, and I'm not talking about just Portico or online, I'm talking about the church, it's time we started acting and behaving like the church of Jesus Christ.
Christ, a place filled with love, forgiveness, hope, redemption, and trust. Amen? Guys, don't let anything interrupt your worship. Number three, worship has the potential, I love this, to release God's best for you. When you focus on Him and you keep Him in the center of that eyepiece, no matter how fast life is spinning around you, no matter what seems to be out of control, stop, realign, keep Him at the center. Don't let anything deter you from your relationship with God. Exodus 15, 27, it says that they came to Elam. But just before that, they were in Mara, in this place of bitterness. And God said, listen, if you will obey me, I will take you from bitterness to blessing. If you will obey me, I will take you to the place of promise. Elim was filled with springs, with living water, life-giving water. And God said, if you obey me, this is just a taste, literally, of what's to come in the promised land. And many of us choose to stay in Mara, in that place of bitterness, in that place of complaining. You know why? Because it's comfortable there. It's easy to stay there. That's the path that we default to. It's a coping mechanism. When life smacks us one and life hits us down, we revert to what's easy. But God says, don't go back to what you know. God wants us to carve out a new path. Oh, it's going to be a little more difficult, but it's going to take us to that place of promise. Worship has the potential to release God's best for us. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 says this, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run. Run in such a way as to get that prize. Let me share one final verse with you before we conclude together in just a moment. Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 and 14. Powerful, powerful. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So often we look to the past, we look to the wounds of the past, we look to the hurts of the past, and if we live in Mara, if we live in that place of bitterness, it's like having a giant shackle around your ankle, and that weight just keeps you down, and you're trying to hit the surface, and you can't, and you fight, and you fight, and eventually you get tired, and you drown. God says, focus on me, and I will take those shackles off of you. In fact, Jesus said that if I set you free, you will be free indeed. Done deal. God wants to set us free. Our Elam, our place of promise is waiting for us, but we have to be willing to leave Mara. I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to close today just a little bit differently. We're going to read a portion of Scripture together in unison. Then the worship team is going to lead us in a different style 
of worship from different generations. And as you sing, I believe God's going to take you back to a moment when he did something great in your life. You see, God has greater things in store for us. If we remain faithful, there is a great reward waiting for us. Let's join together. And I want you to read with me. Let's join in this great song of the great end time multitude. Ready? Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like peals of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Amen? Amen. Oh, man, let's worship. Let's worship.